your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 7, please. We're working our way verse by verse through the book of John. John chapter 7. Find that if you would. How many of you have heard of the word blind spots? Blind spots? How many of you have blind spots? How many of you think everybody else has a blind spot? So a blind spot is something that you can't see, but it's there. So Jesus is sent by God the Father to come to earth and literally to help us see our blind spots. So Jesus comes to earth and he says, Roger, you got a blind spot. What's your blind spot? Your blind spot is you hate. You hate. You hate so much you will end up joining humanity and crucify Jesus Christ. So God sends Jesus to earth to teach us how to love one another. So in John chapter 7, we're looking at a very, very powerful passage. Uh, We won't be able to deal with all of it, but we'll deal with some of it. So the goal here is for me to see my blind spots by God's love so that I can help you see your blind spots by God's love, not by hate. Remember, Jesus said something about Roger, take the telephone pole out of your eye so that you can help others take the speck, the splinter out of theirs. So Jesus is working his way through the message of love. Love is a very powerful, powerful quality of God. So in John chapter seven, we're looking at solutions. America needs solutions. Uh, Your marriage needs solutions. I need solutions for my life, for my marriage. Uh, The world is filled with brokenness. God sends Jesus to deal with our brokenness. John chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, what's after these things? Well, that's John chapter 6. That's referring to the miracle of feeding 5,000. That was a public miracle. A whole bunch of people saw that. Northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, after these things. After Jesus walked on the water, his disciples saw that happen. After Jesus said, I'm God, after he said, I am eternal manna, after Jesus said, if you really want to get your life together, you're going to have to come and learn from Jesus, all right? After these things, watch this, Jesus was walking in Galilee. Look up on the screen. Galilee is up at the northern part of Israel near the Sea of Galilee. In the middle is Samaria. Down below is Judea. Down below in Judea, you see Jerusalem. Watch this. Jesus is walking in Galilee. For he, Jesus, is unwilling to walk in Judea. Why would he be unwilling to go to Judea and walk? Well, it says right there, because the Jewish people were seeking to kill him. Now, if you like systematic theology, if you like bookends, if you like to understand deep and wide, take your pencil or your pen and write sovereignty of God. That verse is about the sovereignty of God, right? Free will of man. That verse is about the free will of man. Write the word gospel. That verse is about the gospel. Do you see it? This verse is announcing the crucifixion of Jesus by the sovereignty of God through the free will of man. 
This verse is loaded with brokenness. Jesus Christ was sent to deal with my brokenness. This verse is filled with violence. A mob of people is tracking Jesus based on false accusations. Jesus is an innocent man. There's no justice in this verse. God will bring justice out of this verse. You have to back up every day and understand man plans to do evil, like hate, like violence. But God takes the hate and the violence and he always works it through his sovereign will and produces good. I wish that was not the case, but that is the case. You have an innocent man, Jesus. The people, the Jewish people, are not going to treat him just. They're going to abuse their power. And so watch this. There's trouble down in Judea. There's trouble in Jerusalem. So Jesus is going to avoid that trouble. Why? Because the sovereignty of God says, now is not the right time for Jesus to be crucified. There is a mystery of how the free will of human beings and the sovereignty of God works together. There's a mystery. It's hard to understand. The Jewish people are free to do good. The Jewish people are free to do bad. Jesus is expressing his freedom based upon the sovereignty of God, and he says, not now. I'm not going to go down to Judea, Jerusalem now. What's he going to be doing? I'm going to stay in Galilee, and I'm going to go walking. You see that word walking? That word walking there is not like movement. That's sovereign, purposeful, loving mankind. That walking there is Jesus freely walking around doing miracles. He's freely walking around loving the unlovable, Roger. Jesus is walking around trying to save people, showing kindness, showing forgiveness. Jesus is doing, he's modeling what he wants me to do. He wants me to love red, yellow, black, and white, smart and not so smart, rich and poor, for God so loved the world. So Jesus is walking in Galilee. He's trying to get everybody to understand how much Jesus loves the world, that God loves the world, even so much as he was in Samaria a few chapters prior. And Samaria is that forbidden zone. A rabbi, Jesus, as a rabbi, would never, Jewish rabbis would never go into Samaria because that place is really forbidden. Why? Because they had mixed marriages. Why? Because they had false religion. So Jewish people would not go there, but Jesus did. Why? Because God so loves the world. You have to back up every day and understand there is a premeditated murder of Jesus going on here, but Jesus understands the sovereignty of God, and he's going to wait. This is not the right time to go to Jerusalem. Now, friends, something interesting happens in verse 2. Now, the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. So, friends, can I just suggest that you write in the margin of your Bible, deliverance from slavery? That's what the feast of the Jews, the feast of the booths is. You see, the Jewish people would hold a holiday, a, a celebration, that every year around September or October called the Feast of the Booths the feast of literally tabernacles. And this is a reflection back 1,300 years prior when Jesus, God, delivered the people of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt, and saved them. Now, friends, guess what? 
God did that, saved the nation of Israel from slavery 1,300 years ago. For 1,300 years, they would do, the Jewish people would do this feast. It's a holiday. It's a, it's a way to remember what God did for them 1,300 years ago. Save them out of slavery. But get this, God is right there in front of them. And they don't believe that Jesus is God. The same God that saved the Jewish people 1,300 years prior is the same God standing in front of them doing the miracles. And they don't believe it. Did you know that today Jewish people all over the world, sometime in September and October, around the 15th, depending upon how the calendar lays out, they go and build these Sukkotes. These Sukkotes in Hebrew, these booths. A booth was a temporary shelter that the Jewish people used 1,300 years before this verse. As they traveled in the wilderness for 40 years, they had a tent, they had temporary housing, they had a structure to get out of the sun. These are modern day booths that you're looking at. Uh, go back to the big booth, Diane, the first one. In this big booth right in the center, again, this is 1,300 years before this verse, that big tent called the tabernacle held the Ark of the Covenant. It held literally the Ten Commandments at some point. You see all the other tents around the outside? Those are Sukkotes. They're temporary housing like migrant people moving through the wilderness for 40 years. And God is in the process of delivering these people out of bondage. So for 1,300 years, there's a holiday down in Jerusalem. And every family, now go forward, would build a booth, maybe out of palm trees. Maybe some people had enough money they would make it look classy. They would have meals in the booth. They would have prayers in the booth. They'd invite their friends to come over. Why? To remember that God delivered them out of slavery years and years ago. Now, heads up, God shows up in person. And God is standing there, and watch what happens in verse 3. God is standing there before his half-brothers, Jesus, God, and the brothers of Jesus, these are adult brothers, the brothers of Jesus says in verse 3 to Jesus, leave Galilee, and go to the feast in Judea. That's the context going here. So why would the brothers encourage Jesus to do that? So your disciples also may see your ergo, your labor, your works, your miracles, which you are doing. Now friends, verse three sounds like good advice from half-brothers, right? These half-brothers, James, jo uh, Joseph, Simon, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, these half-brothers are about 20 years of age to approximately 29. Jesus is around 30 here. These half-brothers are huddled around Jesus, giving him advice as to what he should do. Now, can you imagine giving God advice? That's what these brothers are doing. Why would these brothers tell Jesus to go down to trouble in Jerusalem, Judea? Why would they do that? Look at verse 4. The brothers are giving Jesus advice, for no one does anything in secret. They're trying to get Jesus to do something. When he himself seeks to be known publicly. Why do you stay, stay private? You need to go public with your works. Remember, these brothers probably just saw the feeding of 5,000. 
That was pretty public. So there's got to be something going on with these half-brothers, right? If you do these things, miracles, show yourself to everybody. In other words, the argument going on here is if you're serious, Jesus, about what you're doing, get out into the open. The argument here is no one who wants to go public stays private. That's their argument. Well, it sounds like a very innocent argument, doesn't it? But look at verse 5. Here's the blind spot of Jesus' brothers he spent 30 years with. Look at verse 5. For not even his brothers were believing in him. Picture that. You get to be family with God, Jesus, for 30 years. And you watch him and hear him and you choose not to believe in him. When you choose to believe a lie, you will be jaded. When you choose not to believe in Jesus, you will have blind spots. You will have biases, you'll have prejudices, you'll have dispositions against what Jesus stands for. Jesus' own adult brothers did not believe in him. James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and Jesus, how does he handle them? Does Jesus slap them upside the face? No, Jesus keeps loving them. It's amazing. Think about what's going on in the text. These brothers are setting Jesus up to be trapped. As a child, I remember daring someone. That's what's going on. There's a dare here. Jesus knows that these brothers do not, his own half-blood brothers, that they don't believe in him. That's what the verse says in verse 5. For not even his brothers were believing in him. That's incredible. Now, friends, you and I understand that later, a few years later, these brothers do believe. If you want to help people believe in the goodness of God, you're going to have to keep loving them even when they stab you in the back. The hardest thing to do is to love the unlovable. So watch how Jesus responds to his own brothers, verse 6. So Jesus said to them, my, my brothers, my time is not yet here. You see, Jesus is working on the sovereignty of God. He has, God has a plan. But your time, you can always be an opportunist. It's interesting. You see, they think they're right because of the free will that they have, and they can literally set Jesus up. It's quite possible they're literally promoting this activity of a mob seeking to kill Jesus. It's quite possible. So Jesus says to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. Look at verse 7. And now the blind spot. And we're going to work on verse 7 a lot next Sunday. The world cannot missio. The world cannot detest you, his brothers. Hate you. But the world, missio, hates, detests me. Why? Because I see it. I testify. I know what the blind spots are in Roger. And I know that the world's deeds, Roger's deeds, are, say it, evil. Ladies and gentlemen, this God Jesus sees it all. 
So when people betray you, he knows that there's evil at work going on and you have to trust that there's a sovereign plan going on at the same time. The free will of man is messing things up. And friends, the free will of man just loves to mess things up. Jesus says the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of what the world does that the world's deeds are evil. Look at verse eight. So Jesus gives his brother some advice and it's a rather interesting bit of advice. He says, go up to the feast yourselves. Remember the feast is about deliverance of slavery. It's about deliverance of oppression, deliverance of violence, deliverance of hate by the Egyptian people on the Jewish people. Jesus says, you can go to the holiday, you can go up to the feast, I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. He knows there's trouble in Jerusalem. So friends, verse nine, having said these things, Jesus stayed in Galilee. Now, I'm gonna give a couple bits of advice, all right? So maybe this will help you. Uh, it, it, I think it's right out of the text. Number one, you're free to give bad advice to God. It's amazing. You're free. It is just downright mind-boggling that God himself of the universe, he creates the stars and he says, Roger, you can go ahead and give me bad advice. Jesus is God. You're free. You're free to dare me. You're free to test me. You're free to trap me. You can have the last word, Roger. You're free to give me bad advice. Number two. And Jesus at the same time says, you're free to be family. He didn't give up on his brothers. He didn't give up on these Jewish people that were out to kill him. Jesus will go all the way to the cross for every person here to be family. Jesus will die on the cross, shed his blood to bring and invite you into the love of God. And you're free to be family. Number three, get this, you're free to disagree. You can give bad advice, but you're also free to disagree with Jesus. These individuals, according to verse nine, they did not believe in Jesus. You're free to disagree. Does it make sense that you disagree with, with Jesus? Doesn't make sense, does it? I disagree with Jesus. Let me give you an example. Jesus says, Roger, you love your wife more than you love yourself. Roger, you die for your wife. Roger, you give everything. You love your, your wife the way I loved you. How many of you think I do that every day? Every day. I don't. Why? Because I want to do it my way. My wife and I often talk about my problem is I do something dumb, she does something dumb, and how do I behave? I behave with what's called the silent treatment. Anybody ever do silent treatment toward other, toward other people? You just shut them out? I know how to do silent treatment. Ask my wife. She's sitting right back over there. Listen, you can disagree with God. I'm telling you, it won't, that that's not the way to go. Because the disagreeing with God and not following what God says will produce in you hate. It'll produce in you violence. It'll produce in you all of the wrong things that you don't want to be. 
You want to be like Jesus more than anything because he's got it together. And Jesus says, Roger, I know that you will not treat your wife right and I'm gonna keep on loving you. It's amazing that he'll do that for me. Can I give you a suggestion as you have these blind spots in you? Can I give you a suggestion? When you go through your life and you're feeling like you want to disagree with Jesus, you want to disagree with God, there's four kinds of people you want to have around you. Four types. Do you have them? Number one. Do you have Jesus mentors? Do you have them? So, for example, don't raise your hand. Do you have an anger issue? You have a pride issue. Do you have a mentor who is like Jesus, as far as you can see, that you are working with that mentor on your anger or your pride? Do you have someone like that? You should. Some of us have a mouth problem. Mouth. We, we say things that we really should not say. Do you have a Jesus mentor to help you control your mouth? Some of us do all kinds of things. Like, for example, some of us are just lousy with money. We use our money the wrong way. Do you have a Jesus-like money mentor that's coaching you with your blind spots? You ought to have one because you're gonna find yourself the freedom to disagree with God the rest of your life. Why not get behind Jesus and find people that are following Jesus better than you're following Jesus? Because you have this freedom. Second type of person I'd like to suggest is role models. Role models are different than mentors, although they could be the same thing. But a role model is probably not as close as a mentor. A role model is you know someone that you're watching and you're trying to follow them because they follow Jesus. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone in your life, your family. But do you have role models? You're watching them and learning from them. The third type of person I'd like to suggest is what I would call professional dreamers. Do you have Christians who are professional dreamers helping you to be inspired to do what God wants you to do? Now, they might be mentors. They might be role models. But do you have people that, that really inspire you? Friends, you're going to use your freedom wrong. You're going to mess up your freedom. You really need to find ways to surround yourself with people that, that walk like, act like, talk like Jesus, or you're just going to go off the deep end. And the fourth type of person I'd like to suggest, mentors, role models, and dreamers, all Christian. The fourth is Christian friends. There's a lot of people out there that are really friends, but they're not really Christian friends because they're not following Jesus. You see, a friend stays with you for the thick and thin, right? And we all need friends. But friends, you want to make sure that your friends are also Christian. Now, you should have non-Christian friends too, but you should have Christian friends. You should have a bunch of them. I'm simply suggesting to you that the sovereignty of God and the free will of man is such a complexity, you're going to need all the help you can get to get these blind spots figured out. Surround yourself with Jesus-like people so when you disagree with God, you have a way to go to someone. Let me give you an example. About three years ago, a family in this church moved south halfway to Tucson. Uh, I had a friendship with the family. 
I try to be friends with everybody. Uh, and we would stay connected. Well, apparently this husband that I have great respect for decided to become crazy with alcohol. And this husband decided to get drunk a lot. And this thing has been going on for a while. I don't know anything about this, but it's going on. And apparently this husband then decides to go and chase pornography. I didn't know anything about it, but it's going on. And then this husband decides, a Christian man, decides to go to strip malls. I, I didn't know what was going on. And then the day comes, 48 hours ago, the husband calls me just broken. My wife kicked me out. I don't have a place to go. This individual couple family, they go to another church for the last three years, but they picked up the phone and called me. I'm not telling you this to brag on me. I'm simply telling you this family needed someone that they could go to for help. You're going to need mentors and role models. You're going to need Christian friends because in the days ahead, you're going to need professional. In the days ahead, you're going to disagree with God. You're going to do the dumbest things. And for the last 48 hours, I have contacted some of you to put your arms around this family and help try to bring healing for this family. We have freedom. It's the freedom to disagree with God and we participate in the crucifixion of Jesus by our dumb acts. Every day, you're going to have to back up and say, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow somebody else? May I remind you, watch this. You're free, number four, you're free to come and go and travel. That's what Jesus said to the brothers. You're free to go. You're free to come. You're free to travel. It's called free will. But you can go mess it up. How? Watch this, number five. You're free to go party. You can go down to Jerusalem and you go down to party and you can forget the fact there's trouble at that party. There is a mob out to crucify Jesus. You really want to participate in that? May I suggest to you, you're free to party, but why go participate in trouble? Number six, you're free to hate. You're free to ignore. You're free to kill people even Jesus. That's the power of the free will. We live, friends, in America where we have all kinds of freedoms, and I know how to abuse my freedom. You know how to abuse your freedom. Do you really want to go there? May I leave you with this? You're free to be wrong. If you're free to be wrong by the free will of God, if he's letting you do that, you're free to be right. Do you see it? You're free to be wrong. You're also free to be right. And being right means you get behind Jesus and you follow Jesus. And that's a decision you have to make and I have to make every day of our life. I have the same battles that you have. I have to put my, my, my body behind Jesus and follow Jesus. I would ask you to pray for this family that I just referred to. The... 
the problems that they've gotten themselves into are the same problems the Jewish people in these verses did 2,000 years ago. They thought they knew what was right. And now the Jewish people crucify the Lord as time goes forward in the book of John. And ladies and gentlemen, when we just turn our backs on God, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Your life just spirals into darkness. Now, God will keep loving you, but that's not, God doesn't want you to go that way. God is a God of love and forgiveness, and he wants to build you up. Follow Jesus. Bow your heads, please. God, I ask that you would, again, every day, remind me to follow you. Teach me, coach me, guide me. All God's people said...